and it is so good to be with you all. Thank you, and I've already received a warm, warm welcome from a number of you. And like Brenda, I just want to give you the warmest of welcomes from everyone at Western Theological Seminary, where, yes, I am one of the theology profs. And I am guessing that having even just said this amount, you will have gathered I am not from around here. So, so that we don't spend the next little while you all wondering where's that accent from, I figured I would clear that up right away. I'm an Aussie, right? I was born and brought up in Perth in Western Australia, but then I also spent around about 10 years in various parts of the UK. So that explains my funny accent, folks. It's this weird mix and mingling of Aussie and English. Um, and we're going to turn now to a very, very familiar text, I think, to many of us. Maybe it even stretches right back to Sunday school, and you might be able to remember how you were, were sort of taught about this text in, in Sunday school. Um, what I suspect might happen for many of us is we see a text like this, and we, know, we think, I know how that goes. This is the one where Jesus stills a storm and saves the disciples and said, why were you so scared? You should have had more faith. And that is absolutely true as far as it goes. But as we'll see, it misses out the end of the story, the way that we usually remember this text. Um, and when we miss out the end of the story, we kind of miss out the main point of the story. And also, it makes a big difference to how we then think about applying the story to our lives. So as we turn to this very familiar text with maybe a slightly different twist to it today, um, let's pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, Open our ears to hear and our minds to understand and our hearts to receive the word. Plant that word down deep in us. Cause it to bear fruit in us, we pray, so that by your power we might become more and more like Jesus and live more fully to the praise and the glory of the Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So hear the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day... When evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was all Jesus' fault. This was all his idea. He was the one who suggested that they all get into those boats and cross over. Before we get to our story, it had been a very, very long day of teaching. First, Jesus teaching the crowds, and then private teaching time with his disciples. And this had gone on all day, and then evening came, and he didn't even want to go and freshen up a bit and have some dinner. No, he wanted to get going across the lake straight away, and so he got in the boat just as he was. And that meant the whole flotilla of disciples had to set off. Now, there were at least four seasoned fishermen among them. We know that. And I sometimes wonder if at least one of them kind of looked up to the sky and 
flicked his finger, put it up to the wind and thought, hmm, I sure know, sure hope you know what you're doing, Jesus, because it doesn't look too good out there to me. And it was some storm. Mark really wants to get that across to us, make sure we get it loud and clear. There's this furious squall with waves pounding in over the boat. And apparently, I, I've never been, but apparently in that region, right, when the, the wind comes through the mountains, that can raise waves on the Sea of Galilee up to 10 feet. So this is not just a bit of rough water, you know, to make weak-kneed landlubbers feel a bit apprehensive. Even the experienced fishermen in that little flotilla were scared for their lives. And it's his fault, right? It's his fault that they are out there trying to cross the Sea of Galilee in that storm when they could have been on land having dinner and resting. And where is Jesus in all of this? Well, he is completely out of it, right? Um, He is there managing to stay fast asleep, even though the boat is pitching and tossing like it's about a capsize and water is pouring in so that they were beginning to sink. Even that, it seems, couldn't wake him up. And so I wonder, I wonder if some of the disciples were saying to themselves in that moment, I cannot believe I did this. What was I doing, giving up everything to follow this guy? I mean, who is he anyway? Sure, he's a great teacher. Yeah, he's done some remarkable things. But right now, I am about to die in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And for what? And so they holler at Jesus over the noise of the storm, over the shouts of the panicking disciples. And, you know, Jesus, teacher, wake up. We're going to die. Don't you care? Get up. Do something, will you? And into the midst of that total chaos, with the wind howling and the waves crashing in over the boats and the disciples yelling and flailing about, Jesus calmly gets up and he rebukes the wind and he stills the sea. And he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, you would think, once Jesus had calmed the storm, there would have been sort of wild backslapping and rejoicing and punching the air in celebration and sort of, thank you, Jesus, literally. But do you notice what happens next? The disciples are absolutely terrified. The translation that I use, the NRSV translation that I read from, does not really cut it here. They were filled with great awe. Well, yeah, sort of. But the Greek word that's used here is very, very strong. It's intended to let us know that the disciples were more terrified now than they had been in the height of the storm. Nothing compared to the fear that they had after Jesus had stilled it. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And it's that question that's actually the climax of the whole passage, and it's what the whole episode is about. And it's really, really important for us to register that. So I'm going to hit the pause button here for a moment to make sure that we see why. You see, kind of like I mentioned earlier, I'm guessing this is a really familiar story to many of us. And like I mentioned, the way we normally tell it only gets to part of it. Jesus saves the disciples by stilling the storm and then tells them they shouldn't have been afraid and should have had more faith. But now you see where that explanation and that memory of the story stops. It misses out the climax of the story and the main point of the story where the disciples ask that question because they are more terrified now than they were when they thought they were going to die in the height of the storm. 
And just like we can retell the story and kind of miss the end and so miss the main point, so that means we can jump a little bit too quickly to personal application from the part of the story that we remember the most. Just as Jesus stilled the storm, so Jesus is there for us in the difficult and threatening and terrifying times in our lives. Now, this is utterly true, and we will get there, I promise you. But in the meanwhile, um, let's be honest, we all do this, don't we? Sometimes we take a passage of scripture like this, and we immediately want to make it all about us, all about me. And it's not that that's totally wrong. I mean, that's the blessing of the scriptures. This passage, all the passages have a ton to say about us and to us, and we will get to that. But sometimes making it our very first move to ask, what does this passage say about me and my life isn't actually listening to the priorities of the passage. It's sort of us sneakily trying to make God fit into our story rather than us fitting into the priorities of God's story. You see, Mark's main point in this story isn't actually about the storm as such or Jesus doing something incredibly powerful to get the disciples out of a tough spot. And it isn't really all about us and our storms either, not quite yet. This story is all about Jesus. This is the main point of the story for Mark, Jesus himself, or more precisely, the answer to that question about who Jesus is. And here's where knowing the Old Testament pretty well can help us out, because the Old Testament makes clear to us God's sovereignty over absolutely everything, and it does that and it shows that very often by making clear God's control over the mighty winds and the seas. So think back to the creation story, right? Genesis 1 with the Spirit of God moving across the face of the waters, bringing order out of chaos. And think about the parting of the Red Sea and the Psalms are full of references to God as the one who alone rules over the surging of the seas and stills the mighty waves. There's even a kind of little cameo story in Psalm 107 of a bunch of sailors who are caught in a storm at sea and they're at their wit's end and the psalmist says, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. He brought them to the harbour where they needed to be. Throughout the Old Testament, it's very, very clear. God and God alone is the one who stills the winds and calms the seas. Jesus has just stilled the winds and calmed the seas. The disciples are good Jews, right? They know who alone is in charge of the wind and the waves and everything else in all of creation for that matter. The only one who has sovereign control over all things is the one who made all things. And so right there, there is this dawning glimmer of a realisation for them that maybe somehow in a way that their little minds can hardly even begin to grasp, the one who is sovereign over all things is present there with them in the boat. And so they are terrified with the kind of fall on your face fear and holy awe of realising you are in the very near presence of the living God. From something like, who is this guy anyway? When it was all Jesus' fault and they looked like they were going to drown while he was fast asleep, they have moved to, who then is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. 
because in the stilling of the storm, Mark is telling us that Jesus is the sovereign Lord himself. Come to his people. So the main point of this story isn't simply to tell us that Jesus came to the rescue of the disciples when they were scared to death in a storm. It's to tell us that Jesus is God himself. Come to his people. And that is so, so important when it comes to that next move of asking, so how does this all apply to you, to me? And I think most important of all, before we get to the storms of life, and we will, since the main point of Mark's story is the identity of Jesus, not just the storm in itself, I think the main point for us from this story might be that you have got the sovereign Lord of the universe in your boat, right? You have got the sovereign Lord of the universe in your boat. And you might all want to say, well, yeah, duh, I know that. I know Jesus is the eternal son of God in the flesh. I know he is Lord of all creation. Great, it rejoices my heart and I'm sure it rejoices God's heart that you know this. But we could also be brutally honest here and ask a question of ourselves. I mean, functionally, how much difference does that make as we kind of sail along in our lives? Does that just kind of stay head knowledge, right, for most of us, most of the time? Do we live into the knowledge that Jesus, the sovereign Lord of the universe, is in our boat with us, so to speak, rather than just our teacher, our friend, our example, and so on? Now, I can't begin to say what that means for each one of us in all of our different life circumstances, right? I don't know how living more fully into the knowledge that Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe, how that might change what reality looks like for you at the moment. In what ways might you call on Jesus differently? In what ways might you hear him differently? In what ways might Jesus challenge you more strongly, comfort you more deeply? I don't know. But what I can challenge myself and all of us to do is to seek to live much more self-consciously into that reality that we have the sovereign Lord of the universe with us in our boat. And I think the next thing that we can take from this text to our lives relates to when those storms do come. Now, sometimes when things seem to go kind of dramatically wrong in our lives, we can be powerfully aware of the presence and the guiding of Jesus right from the get-go. And I'm sure there'll be some of you uh, in here who can speak to times like that in your life. And we've actually had sort of a testimony of that to this, this morning already when this has been profoundly true and you're so aware of the presence and the power of Jesus. Share those testimonies, right? Because it will be so awe-inspiring for the rest of us. But I also know that for many of us, when the sudden squalls come up in our lives, we have at least some time of sheer head-spinning, stomach-churning panic. And yeah, we might have this sense that Jesus is along, along with us in the boat somewhere, but man, it sure seems like he's sleeping. And so the disciples' cry becomes ours, Jesus, where are you? Don't you care? And I think one of the other really important things we can take from this text is it is okay to yell at Jesus, seriously. Um, I wonder if this is sort of easier for American folks than for kind of culturally British folks like me. Uh, you know, those of us with a rather polite British temperament and a tendency towards British understatement. Um, I was reflecting on this story and thinking what it might have looked like if the disciples had been all very well brought up Brits. So there's this storm that's raging and it seems like everyone's going to die and then what? Well, someone goes and taps very tentatively on the side of the stern and says, 
excuse me, Jesus, sorry to bother you, but we're in a spot of bother out there. Might be about to die, in fact. If it isn't too much trouble, do you think you could, oh, I'm sorry, you're asleep, I'll come back later when you're awake. Very British. Not very biblical, right? Um, <laughs> yell at Jesus. Be like the disciples. Wake up, Jesus. Help, we're about to die. Do something. We do not need to tiptoe around with God. The Psalms are full of places where people are yelling at God to get God's attention. And the end of Psalm 44 is a really good one for our story. The psalmist says, wake up, God. Are you asleep? Get up. Why are you hiding your face? Rise up. Help us. Redeem us because of your unfailing love. We really do need to give ourselves permission to cry out to God in our fear and our distress and to be totally honest with him about how we are feeling. Throw your fear, throw your hurt at God when the waves come crashing in on your boat. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe, remember. He's big enough to take it and he will respond. But that leads me to one last thing that we need to be really clear about from our passage. And here's where making sure that we get the main point of Mark's story can really bite for us. You see, if we go back to thinking that the main point of the story is Jesus came to the rescue of the disciples when they were scared to death in a storm, well, then the main application we're likely to take from that is going to be, when there is a storm in my life and the waves are crashing in over me, then Jesus will come to my rescue and still my storm and take away whatever is threatening me. But that's not quite the main point of the episode, remember? Who Jesus is is the main point of the episode. And while Jesus might well still your storm, then again, he might not. When we call out in our distress, he will respond, but he might not still the storm, or he might not take away the situation that's threatening to capsize the boat of your life, or not right away, or not in the way that you might have wanted. The cancer might not go into remission. There might not be the miracle of transformation that saves your relationship. The money you desperately need might not be forthcoming. A literal storm might destroy everything you own. Or you might be pleading not for yourself, but for someone that you love, that the Lord would turn their lives around, and it seems like he isn't. And it seems like, at least for the moment, he won't. And what do you think then? It's all my fault. I didn't have enough faith. I failed. Or do you maybe think, well, that's it, Jesus. You didn't come through for me. I'm done with you. Forget it. I can't trust you anymore. Bye. Jesus does get the disciples out of this sticky situation in our text, even though they fell short in their faith, by the way. But plenty of times, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus didn't get rid of Paul's thorn in the flesh, for example, although Paul begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded. And Paul and pretty much all of those initial 12 disciples, maybe except John, died a gruesome martyr's death. Jesus didn't get them out of that either. Jesus doesn't necessarily still every storm. 
Jesus doesn't necessarily get us out of every difficulty. Faith in Jesus is not some sort of cosmic insurance policy to mean that the storms of life won't come near you or that if you just yell loudly enough at Jesus, he will miraculously get you out of every difficult and dangerous or unpleasant situation that you find yourself in in life. He might, but then again, he might not. And that is why it is so important, friends, to let the main point of this story be the main point. And the main point of the story is Jesus himself and who he is. It's to show that he is the sovereign Lord of the universe and that means he is also the sovereign Lord over the storms and the chaos in your life. When we call out to Jesus in the midst of our storms, his presence and his power will provide us with what we need to see us safely through even though it might not be exactly what we are asking of him. Heal the disease, Lord. Put my family back together, Lord. Make the money appear somehow, Lord. Break the destructive cycle, Lord. But even if you have got to keep sailing through the storm until you reach the ultimate harbour, you are not ultimately in the hands of your storms and your circumstances. You and your storms and your circumstances are in the hands of the sovereign Lord of the universe who is on board with you. No matter what he does or doesn't do with your storms, he has you in his keeping. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, Lord of all creation, Lord of our lives, keep in the forefront of our minds this week that you are the sovereign one who journeys with us. Show us more and more of what that means for the day-to-day reality of our lives. And to you, Lord Jesus, who always hear us when we yell and when we whisper, you who still some of our storms and give us what we need to see us through the rest, to you, be all praise and glory. Amen.